If you look today, like even NAR's own surveys, they'll say that far more people will credit the internet for the place where they found their home as opposed to the real estate agent. But more people are using real estate agents today than before the internet. So it's like they still need the real estate agent for the expert advice and the negotiation and all those other things. And often it's the real estate agents providing all this cool tech to them to help them find that home. Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, CEO at HW Media. I've been asking several of my team members, like, hey, who should I talk to about X? Who should I talk to about Y? Who's knowledgeable about this potential co-star and Move Inc. acquisition? And, And multiple people pointed me to Todd Carpenter. I'm thrilled today to welcome Todd Carpenter. As many of you might follow through his blog, Todd.re has a storied and successful career in real estate technology. And, uh, you know, even going back a few years, he uh, was a wholesale mortgage account exec. Todd understands mortgage tech and the trends and adoption and investment cycles better than almost anybody I have spoken with in the past. In today's episode, we talk about artificial intelligence and chat GTP. We talk about this potential and rumored deal that News Corp may sell Move Inc. to CoStar and how that impacts real estate agents and the brokerage industry. And talk about some of Todd's writing on on trends that he's seen over the years in technology and prop tech and real estate. I hope you enjoy today's episode with Todd Carpenter. This is an excellent episode, natural, fun conversation for me, and I hope it comes across that way. Todd, thank you for joining me for an episode of Housing News. Happy to be here. And I was talking with uh, Mike Simonson, uh, who who leads Altos Research for us here at HW, and um, I was like, who do you think uh, will be able to answer this question for me? Like, who knows a lot about this? And your name just kept coming up. So I'm thrilled that uh, to finally get the chance to make introductions and you know dive into some some relevant news topics with you today on the on the podcast. I'm happy to be here. This is great. I also like feel like I need to learn why why Mike keeps saying and other people have recommended that I that I meet you and that you're the expert. So I know that most recently you were the director of strategic investments at at NAR, our Second City Ventures, and uh, you know have a have a long successful career path in the, the housing, mortgage, real estate, tech ecosystem. So uh, can, can you first like kind of tell me like what you were doing most recently? leading investments and then we can kind of go into your your career path of how you've like you built this level of expertise sure well um i worked at three different um positions while i worked for the national association of realtors the most recent one uh when bob goldberg took over as ceo he established a whole new division now it's i think a team or a group or you know whatever the pc term is um that specialized in uh building relationships with other businesses. So uh, the group manages the Realtor Benefits Program and their relationship with like Hewlett Packard or Stellantis or, you know, big giant Fortune 500 companies. It also uh, includes like their store and then Second Century Ventures, which was uh, a fully owned subsidiary of NAR that they started at their second century, like their 100 year anniversary. And that's why it's called Second Century Ventures. Um, and in, in particular, they uh, created a an accelerator program called Reach uh, 
started over 10 years ago. There was about eight companies a year for several years. And then we grew it out to have a special commercial class, uh, a class in Canada, a class in Australia, a class in the UK. Um, so now there's been hundreds of prop tech companies that have now gone through this program and are all sort of, you know, alum of each other. Uh, and so it's a pretty cool network. And over that time, I just really helped uh, introduce these prop tech founders to mentors, to strategic, uh, you know, brokerages or association executives, things like that. Uh, give them strategic advice about the politics of of NAR and, and the real estate industry and all these things that don't necessarily make sense to an outsider and, you know, kind of explain how to navigate through that. And uh, yeah, so I'm very proud of that work. It was really good. I I still feel like there's a lot about the the, the politics that, uh, that that I don't understand. So excited to better understand that. So tell me more about second second century. Like when did that venture arm start, and what was the what was the the mission or the mandate out the gate? Yeah, so I'm, I'm trying to remember. I believe it started around 2008. Um, I had first come to NAR to help them uh, with their social media strategy which today sounds sort of silly, right? Like the, you could give the intern the social media job. Uh, but in 2009, you know, the idea that like, members would be talking back online and voicing their displeasure and what are you going to do about it and all these things is very foreign to this um, organization that was used to being like the voice of real estate, right? So a lot of it was more about strategy and how to respond and what to say and when to say it than, you know, just tweeting or something like that. And at the same time, they had created this venture capital firm, uh, and it was um, led by Constance Friedman, who now runs Modern Ventures. And we connected because I really had, uh, you know, um, I was really paying a lot to attention to the different technology companies that were emerging along with social media. And so it's funny, for the first year or so um, that I worked there, I she would ask me, Hey, can you introduce me to this person? And I'd be like, yeah, sure. And then by the second year, everyone kind of figured out what second century ventures was. And there, all these other people were asking me to introduce her to her. <laughs> so it's, it was fun to watch it kind of rise up. Um, you know, one of the earliest investments was DocuSign and that was like a huge deal uh, to get in, you know, it took over a decade, I think for them to finally IPO, but um Man, what a great relationship that turned into. They became a benefits partner. They built stuff specifically for real estate because of that investment. And, and now members have a really great tool. And Second Century made a really awesome investment that helped fund all their other growth. So would you consider it kind of like a, a dual mandate uh, strategy where there's like – it is like – profitable with investments like in the right deals there is a there's money to be made but you're also bringing benefit to to the members by supporting the right technology getting off the ground yeah sure so when we would go in and evaluate companies um there were a couple things that we look at that would be different than uh you know a pure venture capital firm that didn't had had no relation to nar and the first would be you know is this is this product something that will net benefit real estate agents. Like if, if someone came along and created a, a for sale by owner AI robot to replace all agents, that could be an awesome investment. It might be really successful, but it wouldn't be something that NAR would invest in. Right. So uh, there always had to be that, that benefit to the realtor. Um, 
And then the second piece of it, though, was uh, and and you know the, the CEO now, Bob Goldberg, he he created a lot of these things like Second Century Ventures and the relationships with these other companies. And one thing that he really wanted when he became CEO is to double down on partnering with technology companies as opposed to maybe competing with them or being adversaries of them. And certainly, you know, you think about uh, all the uh, fake drama, real drama with with Zillow and Trulia and all these early uh, risers and everyone's so concerned about them. And it, it almost felt like NAR was at odds with companies like Redfin and Zillow. Whereas uh, today, I think you really want NAR to to be aligned with them. And, and if you're helping this prop tech company that's just starting out or just getting traction um, to do things in a way that are both beneficial to them and to the real estate industry and to realtors, then now you're you're all in the same tent. So I think that's the other really important part. I mean, the narrative of technology disrupting the agent or disrupting the loan originator, you know, has been a a long narrative that's that pops up, um, you know, since the beginning of technology in our our ecosystem. But to date, investors would have been and have been much more successful betting on the technologies that that aid are, you know, tip of the spear, the fr- the frontline folks in housing, the agents and the loan originators versus the technologies that disrupt the job category. Um, I think that's a, you know, a theme that plays out in the the next run of innovation in our, in our ecosystem. Yeah. I mean, if you think about 30 years ago, there was this famous speech by the president, you know, the volunteer leader of NAR, Bill Chi, and it was called the, the lions over the hill speech. And I think you can still Google it. It was online for a long time. It's, it's pretty funny to watch mainly because it's 30 years old and all the tech, you know, the windows 3.1 avatars and things like that were pretty hilarious. But uh, the idea was um, this big, bad monster, and they thought at the time it was probably Microsoft, is uh, over the hill, a lion over the hill that's about to destroy us all. And it was this idea of, you know, some company is going to come along and and, uh, do to us what what Travelocity and Expedia did to travel agents. The difference is, is booking a flight is a whole lot easier than selling a house. And so it was like this call to action to start putting listings online, which is very controversial at the time. No, you know, people wanted to guard all the listings and and have uh, have agents be the gatekeepers and to those listings instead of like the shepherds of those listings. Um, but they did it and they started getting that off the ground, and that's sort of how Realtor.com eventually evolved into that. This idea of hey, let's go compete in the marketplace. Uh, and if you look today. Far more, like even NAR's own surveys, they'll say that far more people will credit the internet for the place where they found their home as opposed to the real estate agent. But they more people are using real estate agents today than before the internet. So it's like they, they, they still need the real estate agent for the expert advice and the negotiation and all those other things. And, and often it's the real estate agents providing all this cool tech to them to help them find that home. And so... You could look at a company saying, oh, you know, maybe Microsoft was going to come along and, and build something that, but with real estate agents can, you know, working together and being in the tech field, they, they built something good enough to stave all that off. So you're unique in that you've, you know, represented realtors as being part of National Association of Realtors, but you've also spent time at what was perceived a uh, potential disruptor at one point at, and, and Trulia, um, even though like, you know, the thesis played out 
played out differently. Um, how does that, that background of working for, for technology companies like Trulia and then also like looking back at your LinkedIn, you've, you've originated loans before and been on the mortgage side. How, how does, um, how does that background of seeing different parts of the industry and actually doing the job, being in the, in the role, influence the way that you've uh you know led your career in social media and then in, in investments with uh national association of realtors and, and second century you know it's funny because if you look at it from like the mortgage side and then the tech side and um, working at the association um i've never actually been a real estate agent i've always been you know basically selling to real estate agents or networking with real estate agents developing business with them so in some ways like being a loan officer isn't that much different than, you know, what I do today. You're still trying to get deals from, from real estate agents one way or another. Right. Um, and, uh, really when I was, uh, in the mortgage industry, I got into wholesale mortgage pretty quick after just a few years. And I started really young. I actually originated my first loan. when I was 20 in Colorado. You didn't have to be licensed at the time. So, um, crazy times refinance someone down, down to 9%, um, <laughs> back in the day. Uh, but, uh, I, I was working for a company called Washington mortgage out of Ann Arbor and wholesaler. And they had this new tool, uh, this brand new technology called desktop underwriter. And it, it sounds so silly now, but at the time, the way that I differentiated myself, cause I sold, you know, vanilla Fannie Mae loans, was that I would go out and train mortgage brokers and their people on how to use this system through us. And then that's how I got my business. And so I, I developed a tech angle from that. It was just what the thing I had. I hadn't really thought of myself as like a technology person. And then I eventually went to work for a company called Myers Internet in uh, San Jose. And they actually, some mortgage people probably remember them. They, they built websites and sold leads through bestrate.com and loanapp.com and Warren Meyer uh, swore he was the ver very first person to ever originate a loan online. And he's, he's probably right. He was probably right. So um, that sort of gave me that technology base. Um, and then when I went back into wholesale, um, you know, I, I, I thought that having a blog would be like a cool way to talk to my 30 different clients that I had. So I created it. And then suddenly uh, thousands of people were reading this blog, which, you know, only a mortgage broker would ever, I mean, you know, you know what content loan officers need. It's not exactly exciting to the rest of the world. And, um, suddenly I became a social media expert because I started this blog early on. Yeah. What was the blog called at the time? You're Todd.re now, right? Yeah. It was called Lenderama. Lenderama. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It and someone bought it and then someone else bought it and then it, it sat there for like fifteen years not doing anything. So it's kind of depresses me if I go to the site now because it's just sort of like a placeholder. That's a similar time frame as when the Housing Wire founder Paul Jackson started started blogging uh back in I think late oh six, oh seven. Yeah, yeah. I st I started in two thousand five, so it was uh very early on. Um kind of like watched what happened in the election between Kerry and Bush and how these bloggers kind of like uh, took down CBS news and I'm not very political and whatever, but it was just sort of like interesting to me that um, this new technology had come along to kind of shift who could publish basically. Um, so it was very cool. Um, 
Yeah. And then, you know, later on going to Trulia is similar. You're just trying to build the relationships within this industry. And, and I worked on a team that really, I mean, we focused on having the best possible relationship with MLSs and associations and large brokers as we could to get those listings because the listings were so important to the site and to make sure that we had as many of them as possible without making everyone mad. All right. So in 05, the, the hot tech was a blog and now we're, uh, and now the hot tech is, uh, artificial intelligence. It seems like chat GTP has, has everybody's attention across different industries. Um, we're certainly playing with it in, in certain ways to, to create frameworks for, for, for content and we've been generating ideas for event names and podcast names. It's just, it's a fun tool to play with. Um, I believe it was last week, CNN published an article that uh, real estate agents don't think they can do their jobs without it, which I think was a uh, was a massive overstatement. But I'm interested in in your uh, in your take on how or if ChatGTP is being used in the uh, in the real estate profession, and um, we can take it from there. Well, I, I think that what's scary about it is. Um that this is just the beginning of something that we've all been talking about for like 10 years, art, you know, the term artificial intelligence. When, when I went back to NAR and built the data analytics team and hired data scientists, um, you know, artificial intelligence was this term, just another term for machine learning, really. It just, you know, it was something that wasn't uh, nearly as advanced as it is now. Um, so it, it's cool to see new technology and figure out ways to use it, just like social media. Um, sometimes, you know, it, it's not very groundbreaking. Like, for instance, you know, blockchain hasn't exactly changed the world. It's cool, but most people don't realize really that blockchain is in their life or not. Um, but this particular technology is interesting to me because um, there's only a few things that a real estate agent does that is protected by copyright, right? So when you think about an MLS trying to protect all of the listings that they have on their site or an agent or a broker trying to protect them and have not having someone come along and copy everything. And one of them is the listing description. So this guy is basically like writing this, you know, saying he can't get along without this machine to create the listing description. But uh, if you didn't create that content, then is it truly copyrightable? And, and, you know, you could argue that if you're the one that writes the query, then the, the output is something that's copyrightable. Um, but it also means that anyone else could write the same query. And so if someone wanted to come along uh, today and steal a bunch of listings and put them up online, um, the, the number of bedrooms and the square footage, that's all facts. You can't stop them. But the, the, the way that NER and MLSs have defended this in the past is, hey, there's this intellectual content. Um, or intellectual property, right? And one of it is listing descriptions. The other is pictures. Um, you know, it's funny. These these this art behind me is art created by artificial intelligence, and it was just a conversation on Twitter with actually Mike Simonson and another friend of mine, Jeff Turner, and we were talking about this new pro. Yeah, I think it's called Dolly, or you know, Dolly. Yeah, yeah. Mike sh Mike shared Dolly with me. So you know, um, it was like, what if Rothko created a college lecture and it created these this art? And I thought it was cool. And I always wanted a Rothko and I couldn't afford it, so I printed these off. Well, you know, that tech is getting better and better to where it can create its own images, right? So if you have artificial intelligence that can create listing descriptions and 
pictures, that was the only thing that was ever copyrightable by the brokers and the MLSs. And, and I think that playing fast and loose with this stuff could, could bite people in the butt because it's going to lead to a spot where someone's going to come along and figure out how to do that on mass scale, maybe not through chat GTP, but certainly the tech is evolving. So it's something that, um, it should probably be on the radar for most brokerages. Yeah. So right now the, the, is the only use case you can point to in the the residential real estate agent brokerage world listing description creation? Well, there's a lot of them. I mean, if you think about, um, like what is the most basic form of a listing agent? It's probably like the person who works, uh, at an apartment complex and shows those properties, right. To rent. And there's six units, that you know six different layouts and on these different floors and every like there's only probably 500 questions that they ever have to answer and that could be pretty easily like documented and certainly a robot could probably figure out how to replace an, a listing agent in that case in every single point uh negotiating a skyscraper or even a, you know a, a regular home far more difficult more emotions things like that but the tech just keeps growing right so you always thought like robots were only going to ever replace, um, you know, the, the guy building fenders for a Ford truck. But the reality is, is that the, the tech is evolving to the point where it really could start to take over um, a lot of the functions that a real estate agent does. So I don't think that that means it would kill off real estate agents, but it certainly means that, that like one agent could probably, that one really good agent could probably do tenfold the business using robots instead of teammates. Right. So I think that that could be interesting. And then on the flip side, I think that especially if you think about this as a robot, um, it could definitely do a lot of the searching that a, a buyer would want. Right. And not not ever fall asleep, not ever not respond to a call and not be tied to one source. It could go off to Craigslist and to, you know, the Zillow and to homes.com and everywhere and look everywhere all the time. Uh, and know everything about you and you would trust it because it's all in here and not off in the cloud somewhere. So when robots this small can start doing that kind of work, then that, I think that could be, um, I think that actually could be probably more disruptive to companies like Zillow and homes and realtor.com than, than anything, because the, the search doesn't have to be in one spot. Then they don't have to go to one spot. They could just say, Hey Siri, find me a home. And it would be able to do that. And my Siri just came up. <laughs> the, I, I mean, it feels like with the AI tools that are coming out now, which are you know essentially open source and accessible, there's an, a need or there's a prompt for current incumbents to adopt as quickly as possible. If the MLSs are enabling um, AI and creating listing descriptions direct from platform, that's a feature. If home search tools are enabling me to say like, hey, I only want to see homes with modern kitchens and rectangular pools with salt water. Like, I mean, that's a uh, capability that I think incumbents could adopt in opposed to the door being opened by AI for, for disruption. Do, are you seeing incumbents in the, the real take real estate tech ecosystem be early adopters or, or fast movers as this technology kind of controls the headlines right now? I think it, it depends on how you define something like AI. But um, when I worked at Trulia, this is before, this is the year they IPO'd, oh God, 10 years ago, 
something like that. They were already working on the software that um, looks at the photos, right? And so when there would be a consumer on the site and it was looking for homes in a certain area and it just kept stopping on pictures where there was like a vaulted ceiling or Florida ceiling glass or stainless steel appliances, it could realize that you were spending more time on those pictures. And then what it would do is it would serve up the same pictures in listings over on the, on the side in the sidebar. And I'd say, you know, like the properties you may also be interested in that were like outside the search parameters. And it would have those kinds of pictures. It wouldn't even be like the, you know, the, um, the picture of the house from the street or anything like that. It would be the, this picture of the stainless steel refrigerator. And so uh, that tech has existed for a decade and been used by truly a Zillow companies like that for quite a long time. Uh, and it's always funny when you see, um, you know, a brokerage come along, uh, like a small player, uh, maybe like, you know, the biggest brokerage in Chicago or something like that, but they're only in Chicago and they, they want to compete with that. And it's like, man, you know, <laughs> that tech is being developed at a very high rate and it's been, been going that way for 10 years. So a lot of when you get addicted as a consumer or even just a, someone, um, surfing the web, either to Facebook or to Zillow, it's because they've spent so much time feeding you the things that they think you're going to keep clicking on. And it's, it's very much already fully in place. Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. Gathering of Eagles will bring together the nation's top residential real estate CEOs, presidents, and C-level leadership teams to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 2023's GOE is at Omni Barton Creek Resort in the rolling hill country of Austin, Texas from June 18th until the 21st. Learn more and register your spot on the events page at realtrends.com. And we can't wait to see you in Austin. That's interesting. We're definitely testing some some use cases in our websites and an ecosystem and a few products that I think will be pretty cool that come up the pipe in the in the next year. But we've you know learned initially that there's um the training only goes so far. So if you start talking, like the most popular use of Chat GTP so far has been um, answering questions and like basic questions like how's the housing market or what's going on in the mortgage industry, kind of quickly reveals like how far these algorithms have, have been trained and like current, like you cur- currently ask how's the housing market and you get that it's recovering from the effects of, of COVID-19 um, low inventory and low rates create a high demand to market, high demand market with lots of bidding wars. And like, okay, well like that, that was a true answer at a time. It is not necessarily the answer for today. So there has to be caution in, in how it's leveraged. Yeah, it's really good at re- like uh, reciting facts. It's not it's not able to add perception, right? Or you know your your perspective. Um, and so when you say how's the housing market, what you mean is how is it going to be if I sell my or buy a house tomorrow? 
So not what happened six months ago or, you know, and everything on the internet is, is the hist- is history. Like all machine learning can only look at history. It can predict the future based on the history, but it just doesn't have that same ability yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, hopefully not. <laughs> it gets a little scary when it starts predicting, predicting the future. Uh, but I mean, it, it kind of, rings true to what technology has been and should be. It's a, it's an, an enabler for humans to, you know, operate at their, at their highest and best. And that's where, where, where judgment comes into play, which technology has not necessarily gotten there yet. Yeah. You know, uh, one, and, uh, I recently, um, was watching Sam DeBoard speak about chat GTP and, um, he's the CEO of the, um, real estate standards organization. And he had a really great point. You know, if you, if you fed this robot, uh, all of the regulations and all of the, uh, things that you ethically and legally can and can't say as a real estate agent, right? If you fed that into the system, one thing that you could do is you, you as an agent could write something and then it could review it and say, uh, you know, that might not be. That was one that could be illegal, right? That could be some sort of fair housing violation, or it could be, uh, not, not a very, you know, you shouldn't say master bedroom anymore, right? Or something like that, right? So, um, it, it could help the real estate agent be better and steer clear of problems pretty easily if you fed all those problems into it. So that, that would be an interesting way to use the technology, I think. It operates well in the black and white. Like we, we used, um, an AI tool to write a intercompany services agreement last week. It was perfect. It was like done. Like didn't need a like uh <laughs> maybe lawyers should watch their back because uh it's it's funny how how high quality it is when you're operating in black and white and facts. All right. So Todd, um last week I was up in in New York for for the Emin event and I believe it was Tuesday morning all the the buzz at the event was on a a story that that Reuters broke an exclusive that News Corp was in talks to sell its stake and move Inc to to CoStar. A uh you know a deal that got or a potential deal that has everybody's attention. CoStar has um if anything like made made huge waves and developed a market dominant position in the the commercial side of the industry and over the last several years has deployed several billion dollars to to building out their their residential um uh, I guess pro- product suite and capabilities for the business, but maybe they lacked a uh, a crown jewel asset, which might be Move Inc. and and Realtor. dot com. Tell us a little more about what you've you've heard and you know how you're digesting this potential transaction. Yeah, so um, I think in the end, I I don't think it's going to affect the everyday real estate broker or agent all that much. It may mean that you know, CoStar finally creates something that could potentially either compete head to head with Zillow or maybe eclipse Zillow. Um, but Zillow's in the marketplace now and real estate agents and brokers are doing just fine. And if there were two people like that, then it probably would be okay. One of the great things about what NAR did and, and people frame this commonly as like NAR sold our listings down the river or something like that. But uh, going back to that lines over the hill, um, speech, you know, NAR made a deal with Move to guarantee that every member could list their homes online for free. And of course, that 
often meant that it was being subsidized by a buyer's agent. But the, the idea that you can do that in America is sort of just completely taken for granted. If you're in Australia or the UK or anywhere else in the world, you may pay thousands of dollars to list your home on the most popular real estate portal. And here, and and, and Realtor.com was the dominant player for, I think, almost 20 years. Uh, and they did that. And then whoever it was, Roost and and Trulia and Zillow and everyone else that came along, they couldn't do anything but at least offer the same because no one would do it. If it, Everyone already expected that this base thing is free. And so the, that part is not going to really change that much. And I think that so long as um, Realtor.com is in the marketplace with that um, ideal, everyone else sort of has to build their their model around it, even though they're not the, the number one player. So homes can take that on, but I mean, that, that's still going to just be what it is. So, so should we assume that the National Association has, you know, some type of uh, uh, veto right or right of first refusal or like, or, or some mechanism that could prevent or augment a sale process? Yeah, maybe not right away. I, I don't know the, I've never seen this particular document when they sold to, um, to News Corp. I think it changed, but yes, there's, there's a veto power in there to where they could stop licensing it to that company. Right. So, um, and, and certainly there would be other people interested in licensing it, right? Like the, I'm sure the guys that just created Nestle would rather have realtor.com as a, as a URL, right. Or the broker public portal. I'm sure that they would uh, much rather have realtor.com as their URL than, you know, licensing with home snap or whatever it was before. So, uh, certainly, there's there's uh, other suitors for the ability to use that trademark. Uh, so then, is move worth as much if they can't secure the trademark? But on the other hand, I don't know why NAR wouldn't just work with CoStar, right? Because they're they're just another immensely powerful media company, just like News Corp. So it's all worked out before. I think it'll work out again. I've seen media outlets report on that News Corp purchased the their stake and move for a billion dollars, and you know this deal is rumored to be at, at three billion. And when we we talk about other suitors, like and companies aren't valued off. Oh, that's they it's three times what they paid, so that's kind of, that's kind of irrelevant. But um, with other suitors in the mix, uh, and the value of the the realtor dot com brand and the the multiple use cases and how it could be leveraged by different players in the industry. Um, yeah. Part of me wonders why News Corp is venturing into, into this deal. It seems like it's a performing asset and uh, has legs to continue on inside of the News Corp family. Um, how should we speculate around what, what Murdoch's thinking or do we have any insight into that yet? I, I mean, I have zero insight except that, you know, um, having worked at a portal, it's, it's very hard. It's, you know, the work is, is much more difficult and people think, uh, you know, a lot of brokers, a lot of agents resent you. And, uh, you know, one of my first jobs in high school was, was selling, um, brake and tires and stuff like that for Sears auto center. And it's the kind of sales where no one's happy to be there. <laughs> no one wants to buy your product. They feel like they have to buy your product. Um, so if you think about, um, News Corp buying uh, move. What have, what have, what have they done with it? I mean, they they used all of their other assets to promote it. They put 
you know, listings from realtor.com into the wall street journal and think, you know, they, all this integration, um, and it's still nowhere close to what the traffic that Zillow is getting. So like maybe Rupert is like, well, you know, this isn't worth, it, it might be worth more to sell, but it isn't worth keeping for us because it's just not performing, you know, at the high level that we want it to. It's performing well, uh, but maybe not quite. And if you think about how many, how many people have gone in and out of the building at realtor.com and moved in the last couple of years, I mean, it doesn't seem like maybe they've, you know, been a hundred percent happy. Right. Um, so maybe that's part of it. And that, you know, that, that could definitely be part of the deal. And then just to go back, you know, the valuation to buy move might be $3 billion, but the, the licensing from NAR to get that name is, is, you know, a couple million dollars a year. So it's nothing like that. So the other, those other organizations that want it, they wouldn't necessarily have to buy, even CoStar wouldn't necessarily have to buy, um, move in order to acquire that, that name. The devil's in the details of those, of those contracts. Um, they, you know, move, move, uh, you know, Murdoch's not exactly a, an experienced deal maker. Um, I'm, I'm sure there's some, some teeth in that, uh, in that majority ownership deal. Yeah. It's hard to see how they would, uh, how CoStar would buy and even News Corp would expect to sell move without the buy-in of NAR. And so I assume that it's there. I mean, CoStar is, if anything, has a incredible track record for, for building market dominance. I mean, their reputation, the commercial real estate space, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's tethered to the fact that they, you know, have a, have the control position. And, uh, I think the CRE brokers, developers, owners, um, you know, love them and hate them. They have all the control, they have all the pricing power, but, uh, everybody uses their, their platforms and, you know, potentially the prospect of building another market dominant player in residential might not be the, you know, might not be the worst partner for, for the national association. Yeah. But I still think the huge difference between commercial and residential in the U S is the MLS system, um, which basically guarantees that if I'm a listing agent and I want everyone in the world to know that I have this listing that everyone in the world can find out, right. That it's going to go to every other broker who has a website and go on their website. It's going to go to every portal. It's going to go, um, you know, anywhere I need it to, to every other real estate agent who has a buyer looking for my property, even behind the scenes, it's all going to be there. Um, so you're, you know, when you're, when you're paying for CoStar, it's because there is no other awesome access to all of that data. You can't find where all the, you know, not all the properties for sale are that obvious. And it's, it's just a far different place right now. And, and that's why you know, Zillow never became a monopoly and that's why Realtor.com never became a monopoly. And I don't think anything that, that CoStar could do would ever really change that. Yeah. I mean, I think the residential industry also operates under a, a different microscope where um, the commercial real estate industry is incredibly important to our national and, and global economy, but um, owner operators don't uh, vote like, uh, like homeowners do. And I think there's always going to be a, uh, you know, a a microscope on the the residential market as it impacts every American voter and, uh, monopolistic, um, 
dynamics aren't exactly favorable for uh for the home ownership market or housing affordability or the profession that is two million real estate agents who you know have a pretty loud voice in the inside the beltway yeah for sure that's the most underrated part of people who pay their membership dues to nar they don't really understand just how powerful that organization is in its ability to work with the government um and and you just saw it uh two weeks ago with what happened with the DOJ and, you know, and yet another court saying, no, you got to honor that. Um, not only does NAR have uh, tremendous uh, legal skills in, in defending what, what they feel is a, a good business model, but they have a tremendous lobbying as well, which, um, you know, kind of goes unseen. People think of lobbyists as like someone who calls on congressmen and senators, but uh, much of what the much of the lobbying that NAR does is to the executive branch, and you communicate with, I mean, you know, the Federal Trade Commission and the FEC and and all these other organizations. And sometimes it's over, you know, like patent trolls or whatever, you know, all kinds of uh, almost non related real estate. But it's important to real estate agents. But that lobbying power is tremendous, and so it's just countless times where. You just don't even notice that it's happening because NAR is quietly doing these things. And, and yeah, I mean, you guys are the are the news, right? Last week when that DOJ case came down, you didn't see like a big press release from NAR about winning, right? They just went along about their business because that's what they do. You know, they're no need to tug on Superman's cape, and and they always do that. And it's too bad that real estate agents don't take note of that because um, those guys are ninjas, man. They <laughs> They really, they really get stuff done. It's, it's been awesome working at NAR uh, and seeing that behind the scenes. There's a, a quiet confidence about getting that stuff done for the members, and they always seem to get it done. Yeah, I mean, the big story is there's some, there's some thankless jobs out there. There's some thank, thankless, uh, some thankless roles and in, in leadership. There's some, some thankless roles in association and in uh, government, and um, you know, sometimes things just have to get done without the. Uh, without the pat on the back. So, um, you know, I kind of, I kind of respect that, that quiet confidence. Yeah, for sure. So, so Todd, and you talked about your, your initial blog, uh, in the two thousands today, you're, you're writing under the, the Todd.re URL. And, and one of your posts really caught my attention that ties together this conversation about artificial intelligence and an M and a of, um, with realtor.com and move and, and, uh, and co-star. The title was the long, slow, beautiful grind of real estate evolution. And, uh, I can't, can't count. Uh, I can't I literally can't count how many like founders I've talked to over the, the last six or seven years who started their, their real estate tech company because they tried to buy a house and the process was archaic and slow and didn't work the way it should. So they're going to raise venture money and, and solve the issue. Um, you have a different, you have a different outlook on that. Tell us about how you think about the real estate tech ecosystem and maybe the mistake that founders and investors, uh, or maybe the, the misperception that founders and investors operate under. Well, I mean, and that example is so good and, and working, uh, with reach, certainly I've literally interviewed all kinds of companies like that, that, you know, found that the process laborious. Uh, and the reality is, is if that if you can't afford to pay cash, um, you can still buy a house in America. It's just hard. It's just complicated, right? There's 
a lot of different organizations that have to get involved, including a mortgage company. And then the mortgage company wants to make sure that the, you know, there's no one else on the title. So you have to get a title company involved and the title company has to provide insurance and there's someone backing up that insurance and there's a secondary market to pay for all this. And there's a lot going on. And so again, it's not hailing a cab or booking a flight. This is very complicated process and it's usually uh, the biggest financial uh, deal that any one buyer or seller is going through at that time, right? They might have a more expensive house in 10 years that they're buying or selling, but right now it's a really, really big deal and it's complicated. And so if you're, you know, but if you're living in, in the Bay area and a condo costs a million dollars or, you know, um, then suddenly those small percentages that, uh, pay almost nothing in, in Dayton, Ohio seem astronomically high. And hey, there's times when a real estate agent working in a market like that is not really doing very much to make a lot of money. And I'm not saying that that, you know, if, if you can go out and find a better deal as a buyer, you should, you know, like if that, if that's, what, and get someone that can, you know, honestly help you. Um, and it's just too often that people think this is a, an easy business and it certainly isn't. And at the same time, uh, like I said, you know, I was 20 when I got into the business and it was, in the 90s, the, the market has just changed drastically over that time and things like desktop underwriting, things like DocuSign and digital ink and, and automation. Back, back to your DU days and your uh, wholesale experience. Yeah. I mean, if you think about the desktop underwriter, the idea of an algorithm, like a, a couple of algorithms uh, deciding that you can buy a house now when you couldn't before open the door to millions, millions of people that could now buy a house as a first time home buyer. And it led to, it led to a bubble, but it also, you know, there's still been growth well past that bubble. Uh, if you look back, you know, uh, for the last 15 years. So, um, there's been tremendous change. It just at any one given second, it doesn't really feel like, and it's very easy to say, uh, well, the real estate industry is just slow. Um, and if you meet, you know, uh, 60 year old realtor in the suburbs of Chicago that doesn't know what Dropbox is that that's not going to be a surprise. Right. But uh, they still are really good at selling real estate. It's the, the technology pieces are, you know, being used though, just all around them sometimes, even if they don't realize it's happening. So um, yeah, I, I just feel like you got to be really careful about uh, what you think you're going to disrupt. And a lot of times it might be better to do what Bob Goldberg's trying to do where, you know, get, get aligned between real estate and technology and not necessarily opposed to it because even even when Zillow launched they talked about how Rich Barton was quoted about how um, Zillow is going to provide all this additional information and that's going to take part of the advisory role out of a real estate agent's um, you know toolbox and because of that that will drive down the price of um, what a real estate agent could charge and save consumers money and Today, you know, you you would never hear him say that because he's promoting real estate agents that can, you know, pay for the services that they provide. And of course, you need a real estate agent. It's like the foundation of their business is to refer business to real estate agents. So, you, you know, even the biggest disruptors uh, um, have often pivoted to align themselves uh, to be more successful within the industry. Real estate has done way more to disrupt prop tech than prop tech has done to, to disrupt real estate. That's really interesting. Todd, can't thank you enough for, for joining us for this episode to talk about 
innovation and some of the trends we're seeing in the in the housing and prop tech and, and real estate ecosystem. Um, I mentioned in the the beginning that most recently you were in this role of director of strategic investments. Um, give our give our audience a, a quick glimpse into what you're doing today and and how they should find you or follow you. Yeah, so I'm at Todd.re. Uh, that's my URL, and uh, I've opened a prop tech advisory. So, you know, I, I found that in my career, I'm good at helping real estate agents understand technology, real estate industry understand technology, and I'm good at helping technology companies understand real estate. And so uh, I'm sort of like that guy, Tom, in the office space, the, the engineer liaison yeah, I'm sort of that guy. So. Man, you got to think of a you got to think of a better analogy than like comparing yourself to Tom from Office Space. But we'll we'll work on that with you. Jump to conclusions, guy. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what I do. I I introduce um, prop tech founders to people within the industry. I help them with their product fit. Uh, and vice versa for brokerages looking to help for help with their tech stack things like that. Excellent. Thank you, Todd. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you. Thank you.